Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. <laughs> it's still good. Even though we're living it now. It's still good. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's Great AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow... Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Voters headed to the polls, literally and or figuratively, via mail on uh, Tuesday in five states for statewide primary elections. Some uh, very important ballot initiatives as well in Arizona, Kansas, Michigan, Washington state. And yes, my old home state of Missouri, where the statewide adoption of Expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, is on the ballot. Gosh, I hope they make the right choice. That after years of being blocked by the GOP-dominated uh, legislature in the state. So uh, the, a lot uh, a lot to discuss in the days ahead. We will have full results, or at least whatever unofficial results are actually available tomorrow, given the... Uh, Necessary extended counting period for absentee ballots during the coronavirus pandemic. That will be on our next broadcast, but we will have some other uh, election related news coming up on today's broadcast in a little bit. Uh, I think today's show will be broken up, Desi Doyen, into two general sections. Okay. Death and destruction, and then hope and change. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Actually, well, at least we're going in that order, I Actually, hope. Uh, we will, uh, but there are actually three sections because we're also going to have your latest Green News report, which is often a combination of both death and destruction 
and hope and change. Yeah, we like to put it all together. So, yeah, and I think today's edition carries on that decade-long tradition uh, (laughs) pretty well, I think. Uh, So as we start with the death and destruction uh, portion today, more details as the day progressed in the uh, hurricane, uh, uh, hurricane and then tropical storm Isaias that slammed southern North Carolina on Monday night. More details than we had when we laid down our Green News report. Um, That storm has now been raking its way up the U.S. East Coast since then. At least four people have now been killed as of airtime as Tropical Storm Isaias. See how I learned how to say it? Good job. Uh, It spawned tornadoes and dumped rain on Tuesday all along the U.S. East Coast after making landfall as a hurricane in North Carolina on Monday night where it caused floods and fires that displaced dozens of people as it hit. Two people died when Isaias spun off a tornado that struck a North Carolina mobile home park. Authorities said two others were killed by falling trees toppled by the storm in Maryland and New York City. Just to give you an idea of the breadth of this storm along the entire East Coast today. More than 15 hours after coming ashore, Isaias still had sustained top winds of about 65 miles per hour. Uh, At 2 p.m. on the East Coast on Tuesday, the storm center was about 65 miles west of New York City, with winds uh, forcing the Staten Island Ferry and outdoor subway lines to shut down. As Isaias sped toward, uh, sped northward at 40 miles per hour, at least it's a quickly moving storm. Now, this was not the speed of the winds, but the speed that the storm was moving. The storm's track. Right. So at least it's uh, moving fast, which means the amount of rain will be much less than it might otherwise have been. Am right. I correct about that? Oh, very much so. Because that's what's killed us lately in these storms is yeah. they parking in place and... Uh, Dumping rain yeah. for hours and days like Hurricane Harvey did. Yep. Uh, nonetheless, the National Hurricane Center warned of potentially life-threatening, life-threatening uh, flooding around Philadelphia and other points along the I-95 corridor. A uh, mobile home park in Windsor, North Carolina, that I mentioned, that was demolished. Aerial video showed fields of debris where rescue workers in brightly colored shirts picked through splintered boards and other wreckage. Nearby, a vehicle was flipped onto its roof. So even though this was a Category 1, its winds caused a lot of damage. Its winds and the tornadoes that it spawned caused a lot of damage. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of people have been complaining that we shouldn't uh, put so much stock into whether it's a Category 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, etc. Well, they find that t- calling it a Category 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 is a limited amount of information for the public because that's wind speed only, doesn't include storm surge and rainfall and flooding in inland areas. So it's an incomplete metric, but it's one that the corporate media continues to move with, and it's really the only one we have right now. And it's not helpful because people hear, oh, it's a one, don't have to worry, don't have to leave. Or it weakened, so, yeah. oh, it's not so bad. Well, it can still kill you. <laughs> so Isaias yeah. toggled between hurricane and tropical storm strength as it churned toward the East Coast initially. It was fueled by warm ocean waters. The storm then got a late burst of strength as a rejuvenated hurricane with st- top sustained winds of 85 miles per hour before coming ashore late on Monday near Ocean Isle Beach, North Carolina. That burst of strength 
just before it hit, I suspect, was due to that warm water that, Desi, you had been pointing me toward for the last week, which oh, yeah. ran all the way up the eastern seaboard right next to the shore. Yes, when you look at a map of what's called temperature anomalies, the departure from average, you could see that there was this red, dark red racetrack mm-hmm. up the, uh, east, the east coast, right off the coast, that would basically provide the fuel for, for this storm. It, it uh, It's like caffeine or steroids at that point for a hurricane as yeah. it moved toward shore, hit that warm water, and boom. Before making landfall on Monday, Isaias killed two people down in the Caribbean and battered the Bahamas before brushing past Florida. On Tuesday, forecasters expected it to remain a tropical storm but continue on a path all the way up into New England. Hurricane specialist Robbie Berg told AP, we don't think there is going to be a whole lot of weakening. We still think there's going to be a very strong and gusty winds that will affect much of the mid-Atlantic and the northeast over the next day or two. So please remain careful on the east coast. Uh, Tornadoes were confirmed by the National Weather Service in Virginia and Maryland and Delaware and New Jersey. Is that normal? It, no. it seems like there were many more tornadoes than usual accompanying or, or spawned by this thing. So to clarify, these places have seen tornadoes, but they're rare. And so we can expect to see more of them as more of these hurricanes travel farther north because the water is now warmer farther north where it used to not have enough fuel and energy and heat to it to sustain a storm that far north, at least not this early in the summer. Power outages also spread as trees fell. There are more than uh, there were more than 2.8 million customers losing electricity across multiple states over the past few hours. Motorists in the Philadelphia area had to be rescued as roads suddenly flooded up there. New York, uh, New Jersey Turnpike banned carpooled trailers and motorcycles. Back down in North Myrtle Beach in South Carolina, the storm sent waves crashing over a pier late Monday, causing a big section to simply collapse into the water as startled bystanders taking uh, taking photos from the pier scrambled back to land. Dean Burris, who watched from the balcony of a vacation rental, some vacation, said he was shocked it was still standing at all. The Hurricane Center had warned Oceanside dwellers near the North Carolina-South Carolina state line to brace for storm surge up to five feet, along with up to eight inches of rain. Eileen and David Hubler were out early Tuesday cleaning up in North Myrtle Beach, where four feet of storm surge flooded cars, unhinged docks, and etched a waterline into the side of their home. Uh, Eileen said when the water started coming, it did not stop. They had moved most of their valuable items up to the second floor, but a mattress and a washing machine, they said, were unexpected storm casualties. We we keep thinking we've learned our lesson, she said. And each time there's a hurricane, we learn a new lesson. Well, I suspect they uh, they've got many more lessons ahead. I'm sorry to say, if they're living that close to the water at this point. Yeah, sadly. Uh, some of them, by the way, we will discuss in our upcoming Green News report. Though uh, one we didn't have time for is that uh, Superfund sites are now being affected by the uh, by these uh, storms that are creeping further and further inland, yes. according to a new study. Yes, the Union of Concerned Scientists conducted an analysis of the hundreds of super 
Superfund sites around the country, and they're finding that they are now at much higher risk of flooding because of man-made climate change. Now, Superfund sites are sites that are so polluted Mm -hmm. that the federal government has had to take over the cleanup, the costs of the cleanup and overseeing the cleanup. And so the the Union of Concerned Scientists analysis found more than 800 Superfund sites that are now at high higher increased risk of flooding. And of course, you know, not surprisingly, they are mostly located in communities of low income and communities of color, because that tends to be where polluting industrial sites are disproportionately located. Mm. So an increased risk of flooding means an increased risk of flooding, washing the contaminants out of this site into waterways, drinking water supplies, and depositing these contaminants on soil as well. So good. yeah, that's yeah. Going, that's going on too. Yeah, no, I was going to say, uh, good thing uh, climate change is a hoax. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd have to worry about these things. Speaking of hoaxes, one of the many horrible things about coverage of the coronavirus, including our own coverage, is that the uh, the numbers that we're dealing with now in the U.S. are so huge, with more than 156,000 dead Americans, that we tend to cover the statistics and not the people and the families that are paying the price for this president's criminal madness when it comes to his response to the COVID-19 crisis. Our friend John Fugelsang, a comedian and Sirius XM radio host, uh, shared an obit on Twitter, which has been uh, going around over the past couple of days, along uh, with the comment on Twitter, quote, this is the best obituary you can read. Read it top to bottom. All right. John, we will. (laughs) David W. Nagy passed away on July 22 in the ICU at Christus Good Shepherd Hospital in Longview. He suffered greatly from the ravages of the COVID-19 virus and the separation from his much beloved family who were not allowed at his bedside. Mr. Nagy was born November 7, 1940 in Salt Lake City, Utah, and spent most of his life in California. He made his home in northeast Texas many years ago after retiring, living in Jefferson for the past three years. Mr. Nagy leaves behind his inconsolable wife, Stacy, his five children, Heath, Stephanie, Heather, David, and Vicki, as well as numerous grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and friends. Family members believe David's death was needless. They blame his death and the deaths of all the other innocent people on Trump, Abbott, and all the other politicians who did not take this pandemic seriously and were more concerned with their popularity and votes than lives. Also to blame, the obit continues, are the many ignorant, self-centered, and selfish people who refuse to follow the advice of the medical professionals, believing their, quote, right Not to wear a mask was more important than killing innocent people. A statement issued by the family declared that Dave did everything he was supposed to do, but you did not. Shame on all of you, and may karma find you all. Wow. Yeah. I I do suspect that uh, karma will find this president at some point. Uh, With all of this, with all of what we know about his grotesque, immoral failures in his response to the coronavirus, it seems like 
there's always still more. There's always more grotesquerie, more immorality, more failure for this president when it comes to this. And it's always even worse than we know and can even imagine. Donald Trump on Monday reauthorized funding for the National Guard to assist states with their response to the coronavirus pandemic. Oh, well, that sounds good, doesn't it? But the administration reduced the level of federal cost sharing from existing levels. That's right. The White House is going to make cash-strapped states pay more for the assistance from the National Guard. States that are already broke due to the plummet in revenues that all the states are seeing now thanks to the coronavirus and the White House and the GOP con Congress's uh, failure to include bailout funding for those states and cities in any of their emergency relief packages so far. That, even though, unlike the federal government, most states and cities are not able to spend more money than they actually receive, than they actually take in. They have balanced budget amendments that they must comply with by law, and they, yes, will soon be laying off state and local workers like doctors and nurses and police and fire and teachers and other frontline workers in order to meet budget restrictions in lieu of any federal funding to help bail them out. Yes, and I think that that may actually be part of the plan, a feature, not a flaw, because if you force cash-strapped states to cut their budgets, then, oh, bonus, you force them to cut the pensions and health care and salaries of public sector union workers, which the Republicans are against. Well, now they are uh, also being told, these states, that they're going to have to pay more if they want the help of the National Guardsmen and women because, well, because, you know, Donald Trump is a monster. And I'm watching my language here on FCC radio. So the sooner that he can get the National Guard to stand down, I guess, the more that he can pretend there's no crisis here at all in time for the November 3rd election. The White House issued a memo to the Secretaries of Defense and Homeland Security that the federal funding, though now reduced, will extend through the end of 2020, but at a re reduced level. The move comes as governors in both parties, both parties are pleading with the administration to extend the National Guard assistance, warning that a lapse in funding would jeopardize the response to the pandemic. Once again, I don't know, maybe a feature, not a bug. The memo uh, from the White House indicates that the federal government will no longer cover 100% for states' use of National Guard forces for the COVID-19 response once the existing authorization expires on August 21. That's right. This pandemic needs to be over in just two and a half weeks or the National Guard, which has been helping to perform among other things, millions of coronavirus tests around the country and other duties like building extra hospital capacity. That'll have to end. They'll have to go. Instead, the Federal Emergency Management Agency will fund only 75 percent of the National Guard's activities related to, quote, preventing, mitigating and responding to the threat to public health and safety posed by the virus. Because, you know, those slacker states, they weren't doing nearly enough. Where will they come up? Where will those states come up with the 25 percent of spending needed to keep the guard uh, there that is there right now and keep them working? Well, 
the states ain't got it, at least until and unless Republicans in Congress can agree on the next emergency federal relief bill and unless they include bailout money for the states. The Trump administration will maintain, however, 100% funding for the National Guard for a few states, including Texas and Florida, both of which have been hit particularly hard by the pandemic and both are critical to Trump's reelection hope. So, yeah, they'll get all the money they need, I guess. States have been using the National Guard to help operate testing sites and distribute food and medical supplies. The National Governors Association earlier on Monday had urged Trump to extend the federal funding and the benefits known as Title 32 authority without delay. The governors warned that they will have to start transitioning to uh, the forces to state control and funding well ahead of the current deadline, however, disrupting their plan for the coronavirus response. States were not given any advance notice when this memo was issued publicly on Monday night when they learned for the first time that they're going to now have to come up with 25% of the funding. Yes, Donald Trump is a monster, an actual monster. And if you haven't heard this, uh, here is this bizarre interview from Axios on HBO that aired on Monday night that everyone is now comparing to Veep or to the mockumentary uh, Spinal Tap today, Donald Trump interviewed by Axios's Jonathan Swan as uh, Trump was trying to prove his case by handing Swan pieces of paper with various charts of different sorts that someone had printed out for him. Look at some of these charts. I'd love to. We're going to look. Let's look. And if you look at death, yeah, start to go up again. One. Well, right here, the United States is lowest in numerous categories. Uh, we're lower than the world. Lower than we're the lower world? lower than what is that? Europe. In Take what? Look. In what? Take a look. Right here. Here's case death. Oh, you're doing death as a proportion of cases. I'm talking about death as a proportion of population. That's where the U.S. is really bad. Well, well, Much worse than South Korea, Germany, etc. You can't. You can't do that. You have Why to go. Can't I do that? You have to go by. You have to go by where. Look, here is the United States. You have to go by the cases. The cases. Why are not there. as a proportion when of population? When you have somebody, what it says is when you have somebody that yeah. has it, where there's a case. Oh, okay. The people that live sure. from oh. those cases. It's surely a relevant statistic to say if the U.S. has X population and X percentage of death of that population no, versus South Korea. No, because you have to go by the cases. Well, look at South Korea, if, for example. 51 million population, 300 deaths. It's like, it's you, crazy you compared to know that. I do. It's you on the, don't know it's, that. Don't, you think they're faking their statistics, uh, South Korea? I, an I won't advanced get into country? that because they have a very good relationship yeah. with the country. But you don't know that. And they have spikes. Look, here's Germany, one. Germany, low, 9,000. Here's one right here, United States. You take anyway. the number of cases. Okay. Now, look, we're last, meaning we're first. Last? I don't know we what we're first in. As a what? Take a look. Okay. Again, it's cases. Okay. Um, and we have cases. Because I mean, of the a thousand Americans are dying a day, but I understand. I understand on cases it's different. No, but you're not reporting it correctly, Jonathan. I think I am, but if you take a look at this other chart, okay. look, this is our testing. I believe this is the testing. Yeah. Yeah, we do more tests. No, wait a minute. Well, don't we get credit for that? And because we do more tests, we have more cases. In other words, we test more. We have. Yeah. Now take a look. 
The top one, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. The, the top, Jonathan. If, 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 if hospital rates were going down and deaths were going down, I'd say terrific. You deserve to be praised for well, testing, they but they're all going you know, up. They very rarely 60,000 Americans are in hospital. If you watch the news dying or read the papers, they usually talk about new cases, new cases, new cases. I'm talking about death. Well, you look at it's death. Up. Death is way down from where it was. It's, it's a thousand death. a day. It was two and a half thousand. It went down to 500. Now it's going up death. again. Excuse me. Where it was is much higher than where it is right now. It went down and it, it went spiked, up again. But now it's going down again. It's, it's going, going down in Arizona. It's going down in Florida. Nationally, it's, it's going, going down up. in Texas. Take a look at this. These are the tests. It's going down in Florida? Yeah, it's going. It leveled out and it's going down. That's my report as of yesterday. Wow. That's the president of the United States uh, being interviewed by Jonathan Swan of Axios, who, by the way, did a great job there. Yes. Uh, even better, by the way, than Chris Wallace did. Much better than Chris Wallace did a few weeks ago in that interview with uh, with Trump that everyone was lauding Wallace for. Uh, his idea, Trump's idea there, you you can't do that. You can't you can't look at the the percentage of the population that is dying and compare it to other countries. So what he was doing there, you have to go by cases. What he was doing there is he was talking about the fatality rate. He was saying, and he's been doing this now for a couple of weeks. I, I think we mentioned it once quickly, oh, yeah. but he... He's saying that our rate of those people who contracted the coronavirus, the rate of people who die, is much lower than whatever countries he's referring to. As if to say, well, uh, okay, hopefully, maybe our medical care for those patients is better than it is elsewhere. But when it comes to the number of deaths per capita, we're in terrible shape. Yeah. Terrible shape. So just because, you know, the the fatality rate is lower, more people are leaving the hospital now than were before. That's great. Good news. But that's all he had to lean on. That was it. And he was like a child with these little pieces of paper that the staff had printed up for him that were super simplistic graphs and statistics that don't actually show what he needs to know in order to lead the country out of a mass casualty event. He, he cannot lead his way out of a wet paper bag. He did not even understand what was on that. You know, he was like, look, look, here's the charts. Look, here's some charts. And look, when you turn it, it over this number way. Number one is U.S. Is, is the best, which was the worst, which means we're the top. And, and what? Well, look. Look, look here for yourself. Yeah, you're right. He is like a child. And there's a reason why people have been comparing it to uh, Veep and to that fantastic scene in uh, Spinal Tap, uh, that uh, documentary movie with uh, Christopher Guest and uh, uh, Rob Reiner. Yep. This, this scene that I'm sure you all remember, it was a hell of a lot like that interview. If you can see, yeah, the numbers all go to 11. Look, right across the board. Oh. 11, oh, 11, and most of 11, and then amps go up to 10. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not 10. You see, most most blokes are going to be playing at 10. You're on 10 here, all the way up, all the way up, <laughs> yeah. all the way up. You're on 10 on your guitar. Where can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere, exactly. What <laughs> we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Uh, Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. <laughs> One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. 
so, oh, yeah, Christopher Guest from Spinal Cap. Spinal, from tap. Spinal tap for president <laughs> at this point. That's uh, where we are. That is where we are. All right, one more uh, from our death and destruction file today uh, before things may get a bit brighter in our hope and change section coming up in a moment. Uh, this one's from our friend David Dan at the American Prospect from his unsanitized column today, uh, helpfully pointing out that no small part of our COVID-19 problem uh, was already baked into the cake long before this monster took uh, took the Oval Office. And I think it's important to remember that. So he says uh, Trump, the uh, Trump Veep sketch that we had just played there was embarrassing. But near the end, he does mention that deaths were going down in Arizona, Florida and Texas. It's better to say that these states have plateaued on deaths and seen a sustained a sustained drop in both hospitalizations and cases, though testing is lower in those states. Yes, each of those GOP run states have actually been scaling back on testing, even as their cases have been rising in recent weeks. But in general, David observes there has been a, a general softening in the data of late which is a very good thing in those states. Those trends could be reversed, however, but they hold for a lot of states with major outbreaks, including California. The death ri uh, rise will likely continue for a little while, but with hospitalizations falling, official deaths are probably going to begin to fall as well. That's good at least until and if schools or are ordered to reopen for in-person classes, and then all bets may be off again. In any event, he notes that if this wave does top out at a high of 1,500 or so deaths per day, that is a significant reduction from the 2,000 to 2,500 a day that we saw in April, although that did come down, as Jonathan Swan noted, uh, to about 500 and then started going back up once these Republican states started reopening again. But in any event, it does suggest better medical care has, in fact, saved lives. We have gotten better at treating COVID-19, which is a good thing. Of course, he notes the whole country cannot breathe more easily now. We are sadly likely to have these kind of waves of hot spots and cold spots until there's a vaccine in widespread use. For example, Ohio, Tennessee, Georgia, Oklahoma and Kentucky are now in a plateau at a very high level. Idaho and Arkansas hospitalizations are rising without end. Alabama and Mississippi have increased concerns as well. All of these states have large rural areas, and that, he notes, is where the trend of improved medical care could reverse itself. He cites a new study by the group uh, Health Affairs concerning intensive care units, ICU beds, a critical part of COVID-19 care. He says if you have a secure facility to administer to a patient, there's a better chance of survival. But because America is America, there's a critical shortage of ICU beds in precisely the places that now need them the most. Poor rural communities that are often too far from wealthy areas to be able to transfer patients. According to the Health Affairs study, 49% of the lowest income communities had no ICU beds. 
no ICU beds in the entire community, whereas only 3% of the highest income communities had no ICU beds. And this disparity was even sharper in rural areas, which again, don't have a richer community next door to them to which they can offload patients. He notes we're seeing this in the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, home to 1.3 million residents and no public hospitals. 1.3 million residents and no public hospitals. How is that even possible? Star County is one of the only in America to have to resort to triage, which we have been fearing for quite a while during this crisis, where they had to choose who to care for and who to send home to die because there was simply no room at the inn. The conversion of hospital facilities into ICUs is ongoing, but it comes often too late. Rural hospitals are in total crisis in the U.S., but that was even before the coronavirus crisis began, with 19 closures of hospitals last year alone and 120 closures of hospitals since 2010. As hospital networks consolidate and strive for ever greater profit, rural hospitals that fail to bring in the necessary revenue, well, they just fall away. Recall that uh, David just published a book about the monopolization and the growth of corporate power in the United States. And this is one of the costs that uh, as these uh, you know, hospitals consolidate, as they merge, as they buy each other up, they take a look around and say, well, this one ain't making us any money. Yeah, sorry it's in a rural area, but, you know, it's rural. There's not enough people there for us to make a profit from it. We're shutting it down. We, and can't, then, and we can't make enough profit off of yeah, your illness. Exactly. And then when a, a, a crisis hits, when a pandemic hits, well, sorry, rural people. Now, he notes, this is precisely where the virus is now headed, into areas that are utterly unprepared for a crisis of this nature. Because America remains a place where your medical care is a function of your socioeconomic status. This essential inhumanity should have been remedied long ago, but the crisis makes it impossible to look away. We have the greatest health care system in the world if you can afford it. That, he writes, is a moral crime. Single-payer supporters are often derided as, quote, unrealistic, but it's actually unrealistic to expect that Americans will blandly accept their bank accounts being a factor in their mortality. This, he writes, must change. I agree, it must, and it may change at least a bit, in the state of Missouri, I mentioned at the top of the show. They are voting on expanding Medicaid to some 200,000 Missourians in a statewide ballot initiative on Tuesday after the Republican legislature and governor there have immorally failed to do so year after year after year since the passage of Obamacare 10 years ago, even though the federal government pays 90% of the cost of that expanded health care. 200,000 200, residents of my old home state of Missouri have no health care because they can't afford it, and though the federal government has coughed up the money to pay for it, the uh, Republicans who run Missouri right now have stopped it. Well... On Tuesday, the people uh, step up to vote, and uh, I can only hope 
that they vote the right way. We'll find out, I guess, uh, soon enough in the coming days. Let's take a quick break here, and we'll come back with more election-related news straight ahead on the broadcast as we move from death and destruction into our hope and change section. You're welcome with this year's critical general election now just 90 days away. Election news is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. And all you can do is laugh at her Doesn't anybody know how to pray Arizona, take off your rainbow shades Yeah, welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So, uh, yeah, hope and change. Let's have some, shall we? Sure. Uh, Arizona's incumbent Senate candidate, Martha McSally, the Republican, she's expected to gain the Republican nomination during Tuesday's primary vote in the Grand Canyon state. Or are they the copper state? I'm not sure. In any event, statewide primaries were held on Tuesday in Arizona, Kansas, Michigan, Washington state and Missouri, though, due to the huge increase of mail-in ballots during the coronavirus pandemic, full results may be delayed as those uh, vote-by-mail ballots are authenticated and tallied. I sure hope that the uh, folks of uh, Arizona, Kansas, Michigan, Washington, and Missouri will uh, will be able to survive until we have the full results, until we actually count the votes of all of the voters. But back to Arizona, few polls conducted uh, throughout the Arizona primary for the U.S. Senate included results for McSally's GOP challenger. Yes, she has a challenger for the nomination in Arizona. That would be businessman and first time candidate Daniel McCarthy. However, results of one survey released toward the end of June indicated that McCarthy would actually fare better against the presumptive Democratic nominee Mark Kelly in November's general election. That's the former astronaut. Yes. That poll showed uh, Kelly with the majority of voter support overall against both of the candidates, but a slightly wider lead over McSally than against McCarthy. The results incorporated responses both before and after presenting poll participants with short biographies about all three candidates, which is sort of interesting. So the initial responses before the bios of each of the three candidates were read placed Kelly, the Democrat, eight points ahead of Martha McSally and six points ahead of McCarthy. The change research poll noted that just 26 percent of its participants had an opinion about McSally's primary opponent, McCarthy, who is a skincare company executive. He's relatively uh, new to politics. They, they didn't know anything about him before they read his bio to them. As they learned more, the results showed McSally behind Kelly by about 12 points. Remember, she had previously been behind Kelly by about eight points. So the more they learned, 
the worse Martha McSally actually did. And McCarthy was, after the bios, was just about uh, seven points behind Kelly. So he stayed just about the same. He actually dropped down a point as well. So maybe they learned about Mark Kelly and his bio, and that made the voters uh, much more interested in voting for the Democrat than either of the two Republicans. McSally has served as Arizona's junior senator since she was appointed by Republican Governor Doug Ducey in 2019. You'll recall she filled the late, uh, she was named to fill the late John McCain's seat just after she had lost the state's other U.S. Senate seat to Kirsten Sinema back in 2018. So if this survey holds, Martha McSally would hold the distinction of losing not one, but two different Republican Arizona U.S. Senate seats to Democrats. That's a pretty big accomplishment. It is. It's never been done. No wonder they keep nominating her. Well, we will see. We'll see as the results come out if uh, they are uh, Republicans in Arizona are dumb enough to do so. But it looks like uh, that's going to be the case. Similar to the change research survey, a majority of polls that weigh the outcome of a of a race between McSally and Kelly anticipate that, in fact, the presumptive Democratic nominee will win that Senate seat in November. One July survey placed Kelly ahead of McSally by 18 points. Which seems a bit of an outlier to me. Kelly's lead over McSally had actually uh, increased from the 15 points determined by the results of an earlier poll from the same outfit. By the end of July, however, additional polling statistics uh, released by uh, Change Research suggested that McSally's support had, in fact, grown among her own voter base. It showed her trailing Kelly now by just two points. So Democrats would be smart to take nothing, and I mean nothing, for granted in the, in the state this year. or In, in any, any state, state. yes. yes. <laughs> Let's just make that clear. Real clear politics. Uh, the latest polling average from RCP estimates that Kelly's lead over McSally now stands at about 6.8 points if you average together all of the recent polls including those that were collected throughout July. Now, I know Democrats are very excited about the idea of flipping the U.S. Senate. And, frankly, for good reason. I think they could not only flip the Senate, but flip it bigly. There uh, is that potential. But I don't want anyone to get too excited, not just yet, not only because of some of these uh, polls, but also because of the you know, pretty much jump ball, I think, that expanded vote-by-mail voting uh, could end up being for the nation. While in theory it should be better for Democrats, because the more people who vote, the you know, the, the better Democrats seem to do. On the other hand, it's very easy to uh, remove vote-by-mail ballots from the tabulation altogether. There's concerns about the post office, which is now slowing down the delivery of mail, thanks to the uh, Donald Trump appointee turned postmaster general who has ordered the mail to be slowed down. There are all kinds of problems. There are lawsuits that are going to happen as these uh, ballots arrive later than expected. And Donald Trump tries to say, well, hey, I won on Election Day. Now they're stealing it. So there are a lot of misadventures to come, unfortunately. And so that's why I'm sort of calling it kind of a jump ball when it comes yeah. to uh, who it's going to uh, better affect, Republicans or Democrats. 
uh, with all the ways they now have to gum up the works. And I think that Trump has been telegraphing how he intends to try to gum up the works. Telegraphing. I mean, he's yelling (laughs) it through a megaphone. Yeah. Also, sadly, some of the numbers do not actually look good for Democrats in at least some of the U.S. Senate races, which were ones, frankly, that nobody really thought they were likely to win anyway. But, you know, y'all can dream, Senator, uh, and dreams do come true, by the way. I don't want to make anybody think otherwise. Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky and former coach Tommy Tuberville of Alabama are both now leading their own U.S. Senate races over their Democratic opponents by double digit margins. A series of surveys from Morning Consult released on Tuesday finds uh, McConnell up in Kentucky, by 17 points, even though his uh, national approval ratings have been declining as negotiations for the next coronavirus relief package have been stalled, frankly, hadn't been started at all by Mitch McConnell. Remember, the Democrats had passed a relief bill three months back in May. They passed a bill that would have funded states and cities that would have expanded or extended, expanded uh, unemployment that would have funded hospitals, all sorts of things. That was passed back in May by the Democrats. The Republicans weren't even dealing with it until just a few days ago, and now they can't even agree amongst themselves. Anyway, I digress. Uh, 53% of likely voters said in Kentucky that they would back McConnell for a seventh term. Yes, a seventh term. That would be 42 years in the U.S. Senate for Mitch McConnell if he wins in November while just 36% said that they would support his opponent, Democrat Amy McGrath. Huh, well, maybe Chuck Schumer and the establishment Democrats should have picked the progressive African-American candidate Charles Booker instead of McGrath, who had already recently lost a race for the U.S. House just a couple uh, years ago. Booker had polled better against Mitch McConnell. Though, to be frank, it still would have been an uphill climb for Booker as well against the Senate Majority Leader and his very powerful political machine in the bluegrass state. In Alabama, political newcomer Tuberville is already ahead of Democratic incumbent Doug Jones by 17 points. Mm. The former football coach who took down former Attorney General Jeff Sessions in a runoff last month had uh, 52 percent support from likely voters compared with Jones's 35 percent. So uh, Jones, the incumbent there, could be in in trouble. And and that's this one Democratic seat uh, that is thought to be uh, threatened this year for sure. The wide advantages for the Republicans are, however, rare positives for them. Democrats need to flip four or five seats to retake the Senate this year, a scenario that analysts say is within reach, beginning in the states with the most vulnerable Republicans right now, including Arizona that I mentioned, also Colorado, Maine and North Carolina. Republicans in all four of those states are believed to be uh, seriously threatened this year in those uh, Senate battleground states. The Democratic challengers have been both outraising and outpolling the Republican incumbents. With 91 days until the November 3 contest, multiple paths have now opened up for Democrats to win a majority in the Senate as Republicans are stuck defending 23 of the 36 seats that are up for grabs this year. But of the four red states polled in the new morning consult survey, uh, Alabama, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Texas, the closest race was... 
in South Carolina, where Republican incumbent Lindsey Graham is now said to be facing a very tough reelection against Democrat Jamie Harrison. The survey found the two candidates there to be now in a statistical tie. Wow. In South Carolina, Graham, one of Trump's biggest allies, uh, garnered 44 percent support compared to Harrison's 43 percent. That is well within the poll's margin of error. Has uh, Graham up by just one point? Independent voters in the state backed Graham over Harrison by a margin of just four percentage points, again, putting the challenger within the poll's margin of error, meaning that he could still overtake Graham among swing voters in South Carolina. Morning Consult pollsters also found South Carolina Democrats were more enthusiastic about their candidate than the GOP was about theirs. Ninety percent of state Democrats said they would, in fact, vote for Harrison. Just 81 percent of Republicans said the same about Graham. A further nine percent of South Carolina Republicans said they didn't know. They didn't know who they'd be voting for in November. As a combined 10 percent of them said that they would be voting for Harrison, the Democrat, or for a third-party candidate. So while I know Democrats have, you know, fever dreams about hanging on to Alabama or flipping Kentucky, and both of those things could happen, but it does look like Lindsey Graham really does have a virtual target on his back this year. He could really be in very real trouble in South Carolina. And by the way, Donald Trump is now more popular than Lindsey Graham in South Carolina. Wow. So uh, he's supported by 92% of the state, but uh, which puts his uh, popularity score 11 points ahead of Lindsey Graham's in the state. Not good, as Donald Trump would say. Moreover, Jamie Harrison has outperformed Graham in recent fundraising halls very bigly. Uh, he's almost doubled the no- donations uh, that the uh, that Graham, his uh, reelection campaign has had in the second quarter of this year. The uh, Democratic challenger raked in almost 14 million dollars while Graham raised only eight and a half million dollars in the three months between April and June. In the first three months of the, the year, Harrison also outraised the GOP senator by a little under two million dollars. This past quarter, however, by five million, five and a half million dollars. Well, good. The, the, the money is coming in. I hope that that makes a difference. Cook political report analysts uh, still favor Graham's chances of winning the Senate race. Uh, they rate the contest as a likely victory for Republicans. But as our friend Howie Klein, who will hopefully join us on tomorrow's broadcast to discuss the results from Tuesday's primary, Uh, As he told us last time, I think he was on about the Cook political report. They are always right, right up until Election Day when they are often found to be completely wrong. (laughs) So we shall see. But there's at least some encouraging news for Democrats today. Quick break. And we're back with Desi Doyen as the death and destruction and hope and change continues right here on the Bradcast. Green News Report is straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Hi, this is Brad. My thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to sign up for a subscription to the Bradcast of any amount you like. We rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please grab a subscription at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. 
Yeah, well, you know me. Yes, I do. When I start talking about elections, <laughs> just try to get me to shut up. I so know. let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. We had, for the first time since 1960, watches and warnings from Florida to Canada. Hurricane Issa Eas hits North Carolina amid a pandemic and makes weather history. Rising sea levels pushing storm impacts further inland, study warns. Plus, 15 states clear the air by moving to all-electric trucks and buses. All of those moves and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. So this is really the worst possible time for a hurricane to happen at the time of an epidemic that is out of control in in a state. Oh, use your imagination, Dr. Amesh Adalja. The worst time for the hurricane will be on Election Day. Bank on it. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, so at the end of our last Green News report, we were left arguing about whether people should plant those mystery seeds that are coming from China, even though the uh, USDA says don't plant them. Well, as it turns out, we now know what those mystery seeds are. The USDA has identified them as being seeds for mustard, cabbage, morning glories, roses, hibiscus, and herbs such as mint, sage, rosemary, and lavender. See Nothing to worry about. Well, I would disagree with that. Sometimes things can still be invasive species. And Washington State agriculture scientists said that they also found amaranth, which could harm the nation's soybean crop. Well, I'm going with the USDA here. What does Washington State know about these things? (laughs) What do you got for us today, Desi Doyen? We'll argue about it later. Okay. Hurricane Isaias hit southern North Carolina as a fast Category 1 on Monday night, bringing torrential rains and winds and knocking out power to thousands. As we go to air, the National Hurricane Center forecasts Isaias will travel up the U.S. east coast. Fueled by unusually warm ocean waters, Isaias is the earliest ninth named Atlantic storm on record, not normally seen until mid-September. And it's the first time since record-keeping began in 1851 that we've seen two Atlantic hurricanes, Hannah and Isaias, form in the last week of July. Officials along the eastern seaboard are now scrambling to arrange evacuation shelters and stage emergency response assets, all during a global pandemic that has already strained state health care systems. Those compound impacts worry infectious disease expert Dr. Amesh Adalja of Johns Hopkins University here on MSNBC. And remember, some of the same resources that we're going to use to take care of coronavirus patients are going to be needed to take care of people that are injured from the hurricane, that are displaced from the hurricane. And you're going to see disruption of healthcare, just like we saw, for example, with Superstorm Sandy several years ago in the New York area. So this is really the worst possible time for a hurricane to happen at the time of an epidemic that is out of control in a a state. I know they're trying to maintain social distancing in these shelters, but if they get overly crowded, it will be next to impossible. Down in Florida, they were actually sending people out to hotels rather than keeping them in a group shelter. A very expensive proposition. Extreme weather hits even worse in developing countries. In Bangladesh, one of the world's poorest nations, right now, severe flooding from the most intense seasonal monsoon rains in decades has displaced millions of people. About a third of Bangladesh is affected. Officials say the floods are noteworthy this year, both for their extreme intensity and long duration.
again, again, all during a pandemic. This is the reason why the Pentagon calls man-made climate change a threat multiplier, because it intensifies other disasters. Other existing problems get much worse with global warming. Yep. And a flurry of new studies adds rising sea levels to that list. The first from the journal Scientific Reports finds that rising seas are already driving the impacts of powerful coastal storms much, much further inland and projects that extreme storm surge and high tides will reach much farther inland in coming years, putting tens of millions more people and $14 trillion worth of assets and infrastructure at increased risk of periodic flooding worldwide. The researchers found that low-lying Bangladesh is particularly at risk, along with parts of France, Germany, India, and China. And here in the United States, Virginia and North Carolina are at highest risk. Well, that's nice to tell them after they've been hit with a hurricane. Finally, 15 states have announced that they will follow California's push to electrify all trucks and buses, announcing that they've agreed to develop a joint action plan aiming for 30 percent of all medium and heavy duty vehicle truck sales to be zero emissions by 2030 and 100 percent zero emissions by 2050. Communists. Air quality experts call it one of the most significant efforts to reduce harmful diesel engine emissions in the United States. And bonus, states that take action now. Now we'll save money on health care costs and lives, thanks to improving air quality. Well, Donald Trump is not going to be happy about any of that. Maybe he'll write a book about it from jail. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your... Green News Report. Can I buy your magic bus? Yeah, get up on the bus. <laughs> we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to yep. all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at brandblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you for that support. You're the only ones who keep us on the air. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. I'll see you there until we see you here tomorrow, I hope. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Mm-hmm.